0: Good morning, everybody. As Robert said, grab your handout you were given and turn to the outline inside. Grab your Bibles. We're going to continue in the series we've been going through called When God Thinks About You, He Thinks. We started the series with He Thinks Treasure. When He sees you, maybe you've never stopped to think about what does God think about when He thinks about me? But when He sees you and when He thinks about you, He thinks that's my treasure. If you haven't heard of the previous message in this series, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to what God is saying to us through his Word specifically about how he treasures us. Last week we talked about covenant. He said, we said, when God thinks about you, he thinks covenant. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. He's set it up. He tells us how it works he takes full responsibility for it, and he says, if you'll walk with me in this kind of relationship, we'll have a covenant relationship where my, my heart will go toward you, my blessing, my provision, and so that's what we talked about last week. This morning, I want to talk about the next step is when God thinks about you, he thinks blessing. Now, isn't it true, couldn't we all, everybody in the room, wouldn't we all say it would be true to say, I want and I need God's blessing? Is that true for everyone? About a dozen of you think that's true. What about the rest of you? Think, does everybody think that that's true? Does everybody want, do you believe it's true that we all want and we all need God's blessing? We all, and we, we want that and we want it for everybody else too, right? We want it for people we care about. We want it for people, our kids. We want it for our spouse. We want it for our family. We want it for our friends. I mean, people all over the planet, I think, want that. I mean, we even say that when somebody sneezes. Right? God bless you. We, some of us know that blessing in two or three languages. Konzuntite. That's the way Germans say it. Or if you're a Spanish speaker, you'll say salud. means God bless you. That tradition started years ago when someone would sneeze. It's an early indication that you may have an illness of some sort that's developing in your body. And we want health. We want good health. We want God's blessing and protection and provision. So we say, God bless you. That's where that tradition came from because we all want and we all need God's blessing. The good news is God's heart toward us is to give us his blessing. And I want to talk about the way that works this morning so that we can all leave here and we can all not only experience it in our own lives, but we pass it on to people around us, our family and friends and people that we know. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Malachi chapter 3, and I'm, you may have heard messages out of Malachi in the past or Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to, I'm going to Not necessarily deviate from that message, but I'm going to give you a different perspective on it this morning than maybe you've had in in the past as you've studied that passage of Scripture. Again, God wants to bless us, and because he's like, he's made us in his image, we want to bless our children, right? Those of us who have children, we want to bless our children. God is that way with us. We are God's children. He wants to bless us. This passage that we're going to read in Malachi chapter 3 asks the question, will a man rob God? Will someone rob God? Let me ask you the question. How could we rob God? How could you rob him? How can your children rob you? Maybe that's a better way to think about it. He said, I think we can rob God in a lot of ways. I think we can rob God of our devotion I think we can rob God of our attention, our affection. We could rob God of our love and our desire to be in relationship with him. All of those things would be a way that you and I, in fact, all of us have done that at various points in time in our lives, haven't we? We've all robbed God in those ways. Um, My children uh, can rob me. Your children can rob you. The way my children or maybe my grandchildren uh, could rob me would be to withhold themselves from me and refuse to give themselves fully to me so that I have an opportunity to bless them the way I want to bless them. That's the way it works with our relationship in our relationship with God. Um, many of you know Pastor David and Lauren and their two daughters, uh, Hazel and Iris. And uh, last weekend, we did what we often do at our house. i pulled out my smoker and we smoked some ribs and some pork and made pulled pork. And I'm really hating to bring that up about now because it's too close to noon. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'll kind of keep you with me here. Uh, but we, we had this incredible meal and we invited the kids and the grandkids to come over because why? Because we wanted to bless them. Now they could have said no thanks. They could have withheld themselves from us and it would have robbed us of the ability to bless them wouldn't it here's a picture here's what happened here's hazel grabbing one of uh, papa's ribs she wouldn't even look up long enough to look at me and smile to say cheese or anything she's she's three as of may so she's diving into her rib and then sitting in the chair right next to her is iris and she's got a death grip on her rib That's one of three that Iris had. I made enough ribs. It it would have been more weight than Iris weighs. I think she could nearly eat her weight in ribs. (laughs) She was enjoying my blessing. And she was giving herself to me so I could bless her. And that's the way this works. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing when we get to bless our children. When God gets to bless his children, he feels the same way. So in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, let's ask that question again. Malachi is having a dialogue with God here. Malachi 3, 8 says, will a man rob God? This is God speaking here. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, let me stop there for a moment. Just put your finger there and pause for a second. Let me explain what God's saying. Because this message and this statement from God has really nothing to do with money, it has to do with our heart. What God is saying is, I want you, in this covenant relationship I've established with you, I am telling you, you must put me first. I want you to put me first with the tithe and with your heart. Jesus tells us in the Gospels, he says, where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. So I want your heart. And when you bring me the treasure that I have entrusted to you, the first lamb of your of your flock that is born to your flock, the first part of the grain that you harvest, the first of your produce, the first of your income, when you put me first, then you will be in the kind of relationship, that covenant relationship that I want to establish with you, and you will experience all of my blessing. But if you don't, what you'll do, God knows this about us, he created us. The, the, the creator knows how the creation works right? So he create, because he created us, he knows how we work. If we don't put him first, we'll put something else first. When we put something else first, it's another form of a God. It's an idol of some kind. We may be worshiping money. We may be worshiping fame, popularity, power, some other kind of pursuit of an identity, and, we, and that will be another God to us. And we will experience not the blessing from God. We will experience the curse that comes from aligning ourselves with a God that is other than God. That's what God's saying to us here. See, he says, I want your heart. And I, and then he goes on to say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? So that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Anybody want a blessing in your life until it overflows? I think we all want that, don't we? This is God's promise to us. This is one of the places where God says to us, you can actually test me on this one. might not be a good idea to test God otherwise, but on this one, you can test me on this one. You can test me. You can see that when you give your heart to me and you put me first in every area of your life, I will pour out. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you, just like it would be just like me covering Iris up with a bucket of ribs. There'll be so many ribs, you can't eat them all, Iris. When you let me bless you the way I want to bless you, when you come and receive from me, and you have that kind of covenant relationship with me, I will pour out more than you can contain, more than you can stand. That's God's promise. It's not me saying it. I'm just reading the word here. Verse 11, he goes on to say, then, this is an, another amazing promise he gives to us. He isn't just promising to bless us and provide for us, which is pretty important bl- uh, promise, isn't it? He's not just promising that, he's promising now he's going to protect us. He goes on to say, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes. In other words, the grapes that you are planting and tending will produce rather than dry up. Your fields will produce because I am not only going to provide for you, I'm going to protect you from the devourer. The enemy of God is Satan. We know that. We've seen him since the beginning of time. He wants his, Jesus said in John chapter 10, the role of Satan is to kill and steal and destroy. What God is saying is, I'm going to protect you from that. I'm going to provide and I'm going to protect. That's a pretty amazing promise, isn't it? Anybody want that? Don't we all want to live in that kind of relationship with God? Then he goes on to say, verse 12, then all of the nations will call you blessed. They're going to see the evidence. They're going to watch your testimony. They're going to see the reality of what you, the ways that you get blessed and provided for and protected, and they're going to look at you and say, wow, you have the blessing of God on you, you have the favor of God on you, you have obviously have God's attention, and He is providing and protecting you. What, how do you, how does that work? And we're supposed to be able to answer that question when all the people around us call us blessed, recognizing how much God has provided and protected us. It's a pretty, pretty amazing promise. Now, when Kathy and I got married nearly 34 years ago, August the 7th. Yes, I do remember the date, just in case you're wondering. Well, August the 7th, right, honey. We'll be we'll be married 34 years. And when we got married, we were devoted to God and we were in covenant relationship with God and in covenant relationship with one another. And we one of the things we decided that we would never compromise is that we would always tithe. We're always going to honor God with the resources he entrusts to us. And we have, ever since. Ever since the day we got married, we have tithed. Now, granted, it hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been easy to be a pastor, starting a church and having very limited resources. But even when we had very, very limited resources, we honored God with the tithe, and God provided for us, and he protected us, and he blessed us. He always has. We are a living, walking, breathing testimony that God's promises are true every day. We, uh, we as most of you know, you, most of you heard, have heard my story. I won't tell the whole story about the way God called us to ministry. It was a three-year process before we finally surrendered to being called to ministry. We were farmers on, in Missouri. I worked for the Soil Conservation Service. And when we finally surrendered to that, we moved from Missouri to Florida to go back to school to prepare for ministry. We, we decided we'd, we knew we needed to leave the ag industry. Kathy was in the clothing and textiles industry. And we packed everything up. And we had a, literally had $1,000 in our pocket because we, we were leaving a farm and a house that we hadn't sold yet. And we were going to move to Florida. And we were going to go to a private school. that was going to be expensive. We didn't know how we were going to pay for it. We didn't have a place to live. And we didn't have a job. And our parents and our family all thought we had lost our minds. In fact, our parents decided, they, got, they sort of got together and they said, hey, let's help them move because I think what will happen is once they get there and they'll see what a stupid idea this is, we can help them move home. And that's what they did. They followed us to Florida, helped us move we miraculously found out, I won't go into all the details of the story. We got a house. Two weeks later, uh, I got a job, started a school, started a lawn landscape business. Within a year after we moved there, we were building a new house, having a new baby, making more money than we'd ever made in our lives, and paying for school as we went along. It was amazing. I still don't know how that happened, except that God is a God of promises, and he fulfills what he says he's going to do. Let somebody say amen to that? Yeah, it's just the way it works. When we started the church, almost 23 years ago now, we were in the process of preparing to launch the church in the fall of 1993. And we didn't have any resources. We didn't have any money to start a church. It takes a lot of money to get a church started and to find all the the resources and equipment, a place to rent to have room to worship and office and so on. So we cashed all of our retirement in at that point. Every penny we had, we put it on the table and said, God, we know this is what you're calling us to do, and we don't know how it's going to work, but here's how it goes. And still to this day, I don't know if you know this statistic, eight out of ten new church startups don't make it. They fail. There's one, uh, one that we've been helping and supporting some here locally that we're walking with them through this summer because now they, they realize they have to close down. It's not going to make it. And so when we started, we knew that. But we also knew what God was calling us to do. We were absolutely convinced of it. And over the years, look what God has done. Look what he's done. Look at the lives that have been touched. Look at the ways he's, he's rescued marriages and, and, and restored lives and hearts and families. And Look at this building and this land that we're sitting in. You realize you're sitting in a miracle right now? You're sitting in in God's provision for his bride, the church. Not a single person in this room, including me, contributed a single penny to this building. A few men got together, donated some money. We bought land. We bought land at the corner of 21st and Greenwich Road for $280,000. Seven years later, we sold it for $5 million. Bought this 20 acres and built this building debt-free. Only God can do that. But that's what happens when God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you to be a part of it. That's the way the kingdom works. It's a completely different economy than what we're accustomed to. And God wants to invite us to be a part of that. Let me ask you a question. What if if Kathy and I had not given? What if we had not done what God calls us to do? What, what would have happened then? Well, Frankly, I don't really know the answer to the question, but I think I know the answer to the question. I think what would have happened is God would have called someone else to be obedient, and someone else would be the leader of this church, and everyone else would have still gotten blessed, and God would have still gotten blessed and honored and glorified. You know the ones that would have missed out on the blessing? It would have been me and Kathy. That's the ones who would have missed out on the blessing. Because God's still going to do what God's going to do. We are the ones who would have missed out on the blessing of being able to partner and work and follow and honor and bless and be obedient and participate in what God wants to do. So let's talk about three categories of blessing. Number one is tithing. From this passage of Scripture, God tells us to bring him the tithe and when we do, we bring him our heart. He knows that when we bring our treasure, we also bring our heart, so he has our heart. In Joshua chapter 6, turn there if you have your Bibles, while you're turning to Joshua chapter 6, let me tell you what's going on here. The people of Israel, the the Jewish nation, is about to move into the promised land. They've been following God through the wilderness for 40 years, and now it's finally time to move into the promised land. And the very first city they're going to take is the city of Jericho. There will be many cities for them to take as they inhabit the promised land. And God says, I want you to take Jericho first. There's lots of reasons for that. It's a very strategic location. But it's the first city them to take, and God says, in that city, all of the plunder belongs to me. All of it. All of the gold, all of the silver, everything. You can't keep anything for yourself. Why? Because it's the first. It's the first city they're going to take. Now, there's no guarantee in their minds that they're going to be able to take any other city. The only way they're going to know that is if they trust that God is going to do what God's going to do. they got to trust him and they got to be obedient to him. So when they go and they took Jericho, here's what God says to them. Joshua chapter six verse eighteen: As for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban. That means everything that you, all the plunder. He's putting a ban on that, and he's saying this is going to be mine, so that you do not covet them and take them, and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed. And bring trouble on it. But all the the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy, holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. What belongs to God is holy. It is his. The tithe is his and it's holy. It doesn't belong to me. In fact, that's why we distinguish the difference between, here in this body of Christ, we distinguish the difference between tithing and giving. When you tithe, you're returning to God what belongs to Him. It's not giving. You can't give something that doesn't belong to you, right? We all agree with that? You can't agree with some. you can't give something that doesn't belong to you. The tithe belongs to God. So we return the tithe. When we give our offerings that's over and above our tithe, that is giving. That is giving. It's giving out of your heart as God leads and prompts and so. Difference between the two. God says the tithe is holy to the Lord. So when they put God first and taking Jericho first, it all belonged to God. And God promises us that when we give what belongs to him, that he knows he has our heart. And there's no danger then of our heart getting attached to another God, which is going to lead to curses in our lives. That's the way it works. Uh, Several years ago, when our kids were still living at home, uh, we would occasionally go to Athletic events and, you know, soccer games, basketball games, things like that. Josh, our son, was always, uh, you know, enough older that Lauren would usually be watching, not participating. And so we went to a soccer game one day, and Lauren loved candy like lots of little kids do. And she asked, she said, Daddy, uh, can I have some Skittles? Everybody remember Skittles? If kids that uh, I, I had to ask earlier, do they still make Skittles? I don't even know, but they, they do, apparently. They still, you can still buy Skittles. So Daddy, can I have some Skittles? So I went back to the concession stand. I said, sure, sweetie, you can have some Skittles. So I went back and got a bag of Skittles and handed them to her. And she opens the bag up and starts eating Skittles. And I turned to Lauren and I said, hey, Lauren, could I have a couple Skittles? And she went, no, these are my Skittles. Now, I'm sitting there just, you know, as the dad, as the grown up, thinking, you little turkey. I think if I didn't, if I'm not mistaken, it was my money that bought the Skittles, and it was my legs that took me back to the concession stand to get the Skittles for you. And now I'm asking you for a couple of lousy Skittles, and you're going, no, they're mine. I'm thinking to myself, you know what, Lauren? I actually have enough money in my bank account that if I want to, I can go back to the concession stand and I can buy enough Skittles to bury you in Skittles. (laughs) I don't need your Skittles. I'm just wanting to share in a relationship. And by the way, In case you want more Skittles, you can forget it. She's sitting there with this bag of Skittles all clutched in her grubby little paws. And you know what? I can't bless a clenched fist. And it isn't about Skittles anyway, is it? It isn't about money. It never is. It's about our heart. I wanted to connect to my daughter's heart. That's why I got up and got the Skittles. So I could bless her. And that's what tithing is all about, friends. That's what God wants us to experience. The Second category of blessing is offerings. You know, we know the tithe belongs to God. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says, Thus all, all, that little word there in Hebrew, uh, the original, it means all. Thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It is set apart. It is holy. It belongs to him. So we know that about the tithe. Now, in Malachi 3, remember earlier, Malachi 3, 8, we read, will a man rob God? You are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? And God answers, in tithes and offerings. So we've talked about tithes, but we can also rob God in our offerings, the part over and above the tithe. This is the only way we can really rob God. And we've talked about the tithe, but the way we rob God through offerings or withholding offerings is we rob him of the the blessing of blessing us so we can bless others. When we when we give our, of our offerings, it's always, almost always going to go to a cause. It's going to go to expand the kingdom somewhere. It's going to go to change lives. It's going to go to have a specific purpose where God is going to use and multiply that. Remember I talked about the land earlier? Those men who gave the money, uh, men and women who gave the money for us to buy that original piece of property, who gave the $280,000, had no idea what God was going to do with that. They just, it just blew their mind to think that God could take $280,000 and in seven years turn it into $5 million and build a building like this one with land where it is located and God would have a body of Christ living here, serving here, honoring and worshiping him here. They had no idea what God would, t- would do in his economy with their offering. And we don't either until he does it. But we can rob God of the opportunity to bless us and use us to expand the kingdom. I've got friends right now here in this church, here in this community, and around the country who I'm watching give over and above their tithes and offerings, and God is using that and expanding it and multiplying it in ways that is literally going to change lives of kids and families for generations to come, not just a few, not just a dozen or so, but hundreds and hundreds of lives as God uses the heart and the offerings of a few to multiply them and just absolutely expand the kingdom in ways we never dreamed. And he gets to bless us that way. He gets to bless us. To be a blessing. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's the most fun thing in the world to get to participate in. So, by the way, just again, let me say this again. I said it earlier. This is not about money and this message is not about the church needing money. Let me just tell you, as a family, this little family moment here, this Sunday... The last Sunday in June is the last Sunday, it's the last uh, time we'll gather together in our fiscal year. Our fiscal year ends the end of June. So this is the last Sunday of the year for our fiscal year. So I can tell you with um, great gratitude, thanksgiving to you and to God that we'll end the year well into the black, which is a much better number or color than red, by the way, and we'll, we'll end the year well into the black, and on top of you giving and being faithful, those of you, many of you are very, very faithful with your tithes. Many of you are very, very faithful with your offerings. The truth is, if everyone in the life of the body of Christ would be completely faithful in these areas, we'd have so much money left over at the end of the year. We'd have a prayer service for two or three days and fast and pray to see what God wanted us to do with the surplus. We would. That's, that's the way this would work. That'd be a pretty exciting prayer meeting, wouldn't it? Yeah. But the good news is, God is using you to provide for the needs of this body of Christ, so we do ministry in this community. And in this fiscal year, this body of Christ will have given away, on top of the needs of this local church, over $200,000 to bless ministry partners that we work with here locally in Central America and in India and various other places. And I just think that's something to praise God for, don't you? It's just amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. So this message is not about money. It's not about the church needing money. I mean, let's face it. Does God need our money? No. No. God does not need our money. In fact, if God wanted our money, if God wanted my money, he'd just take it. Right? It wouldn't be hard for God. He'd just take it. This, this is not about money. This is about our heart. This is about relationship. This is about God providing, protecting, and empowering us. This is about God providing for us, protecting us, and blessing us so that we can and empowering us so we can be a blessing to others. That's His promise in Malachi three. Let's talk about sacrificial offerings, the third form of this blessing we're talking about this morning. A lot of examples I'll just name quickly. King David gave sacrificially to, so that the temple could be built. He didn't get to build the temple. He didn't get that privilege, but he gave. In modern-day equivalents, he gave several billion, with a B, several billion dollars. To set aside the resources so the temple could be built. His son Solomon actually built the temple. And when he did, it would have been customary in the worship service of dedication and consecration of the temple to the Lord for Solomon to give at least one, maybe ten bulls to, so that for the sacrifice, so that the worship for the worship service that day, Solomon gave sacrificially a thousand bulls. Pretty good example the king set for his people, wasn't it? Lots of other examples of people giving sacrificially throughout the word of God. We see where Abraham gave, intended to give sacrificially, was very willing to give his son sacrificially. And God said, well, you don't have to, I see your obedience, I see your heart, and I'm going to substitute your son and I will provide the sacrifice. We see in the life of Jesus where a good friend of his, a woman, Gave a year sacrificially gave a year's wages worth of oil to anoint him. Lots of sacrificial giving. We see, of course, we know that God is the greatest sacrificial giver there is because he gave his son for us so that we could know him, so we could be in relationship with him. In Mark chapter 12, turn there with me. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus is sitting in the temple complex. In this day and time, That we're reading about now in Mark chapter 12. The whole city of Jerusalem would be just about the same size as this property. In fact, it's exactly 20 acres, our property. The city of Jerusalem in the first century was 20 acres. The Temple Mount complex would have been just about the same size as this building and our parking lot. Jesus is inside the temple... And he's looking across the courtyard at the treasury area. The courts would have been here. The treasury is here. And he's looking, watching people walk into the treasury with their alms, with their tithes and their offerings. And he's watching them give. That's this setting in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to one cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they, they all put in out of their surplus... But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she owned, all she had to live on. God had all of her heart, didn't he? You know, every Sunday as we gather here, and as we even as we go about our life with Christ in us, He watches us the same way He watched the people in the temple that day. He watches us as we as we serve, as we give, as we honor God with our tithes, as we pray, as we do what we do, and. My question for me and for all of us is this. Are we giving out of our surplus, which isn't bad, or are we giving God everything? Have you given God everything? Have you given him your heart? Does he have your whole heart? Does he have your life? Does he have your family? Does he have your marriage? Does he have your children? Have you recognized that we don't really own anything? In fact, the, listen carefully. i want to write this down. The minute you think you own something, it actually owns you. Isn't that true? The minute you think you own something, it actually owns you. You know, I think sometimes God looks at us the way I looked at Lauren on the athletic bench that day. And sometimes, for some of us, he sees us sitting there with clenched fists holding our little bag of Skittles. But what God's inviting us to do is to go like this with our hearts and our lives and be in a position where God has all of us and where He can pour all of His blessing into our lives because He can't bless this but he can this. What about you? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you as we spend this time together this morning? As you hear from God's word and as you've heard from God's heart into your heart, does he have your heart? All of it? Would you bow your head and Close your eyes with me. I want to ask you as you consider to pray this prayer. Pray and say, God, will you reveal to me the ways you want me to open my heart to you? And would you reveal to me the places in my life Where I've had closed fists, where I've held myself from you, where I've not been blessable. Now, would you just confess that to God and say, God, I want to give you all my life, and I need your forgiveness, I need your grace and I want to receive the blessing from you and the truth and the grace and the love that you have for me I want to give you all my heart, all my mind, all my life if you prayed that prayer would you just slip your hand up and just say that's me, I prayed that prayer Praise God. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Father, as we, as we hear your heart this morning, we're so thankful that you <laughs> that it's not about what you want from us, it's about what you want for us. And we're so thankful for that, Father. And this morning, some of us need to just open our hearts and open our hands and open our lives to you and allow you to bless us. Some of us need forgiveness. Thank you for your forgiveness, God. Some of us need to be able to forgive others. And so we pray you'll help us to do that. Some of us need healing. We need a healing touch from you. And we've withheld from you, our bodies, and our lives out of fear. That you won't do what you've promised you'd do. So today, we're coming to you, God, to bring everything. And we're going to trust you and your promises and receive your truth, and your grace, and your love, and your blessing. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.